everybody doing? Good. Doing well, good. good to be everybody back. Have a good Sunday. Yeah, indeed. Good good Sunday. Good Sunday. How about you, Josh? Yeah, I had a great weekend. Awesome. Great Sunday. Awesome, man. Yeah, the uh, congregation was singing this weekend. Mm. It was awesome. It was awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. boy. Yeah. I was going to say something when great I, song before I got up to preach, mm-hmm. uh, before I started preaching, but it was just so great to hear the men's voices, like our, our mm. guys. <clears throat> I mean, women <clears throat> always sing and do the bulk of the singing, I think, in most churches, but uh, it was just really great to hear the men just belting it out. It was mm. great. Mm. Awesome. I've been, I've been tricking them. I've been... <laughs> Last few weeks, keeping the the male parts low, uh, and then yesterday I brought it up like half a step, <laughs> and all the guys like went for it. It was awesome. Oh yeah, that's so ter- nice. that's terrific. Well, yeah. we're starting chapter six. This is, will be a pretty quick chapter today. Plastic people, liquid worlds. So this chapter, as as I see it, really just is. Um, kind of the natural consequence, I think, of fluid identity. If everybody now has a fluid self, Mm -hmm. then we have a fluid culture. Mm -hmm. We have fluid uh, political structures. We have fluid um, terms uh, and conditions for allowing people admittance uh, into uh, those structures. So I want to actually do what I did last week, which is start with part of the conclusion Hmm. uh, on pages 125 and 127. He says this, he says, uh, National narratives are not the means for social unity, but have instead become battle zones. And it is very hard to be part of an imagined community when the nature of what is to be imagined is itself a primary source of division. But but not only are the narratives of nations being contested, they are facing challenges from other narratives and other ways of being imagined communities. Human selves, then he says in 127, human selves (laughs) exist in dialogue with the terms of recognition set by a wider world. When that world is liquid... Those terms are set by the loudest voices and the most dominant narratives. And so that is a situation that we're facing. So along with the reimagined self uh, comes a reimagined social or cultural and political identity. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that uh, freedom with a proper context of social identity is a self-made prison, and in some sense I would say a self-made hell. Uh, there's a very real sense in which we cannot interpret ourselves without the context of body, family, geography, and national and religious tradition. And in the United States, national and religious tradition are, those two traditions, those two elements of our tradition are inextricable, like they're intertwined. And so if you do pull them apart, you begin to just kind of unravel mm-hmm. society, our, our societal yeah identity, if you will. So your thoughts on this chapter, your thoughts on these ideas, and, and where he seems to be going now with it. I think specific to America, what you're saying is is correct in that America was founded, was the first nation that was really founded on ideas, and it was an explicit founding. It wasn't just, a, oh, hey, this is how everything sort of panned out. Right. It was a, hey, we're going to intentionally start this, and we're <clears> going to focus it around ideas. So if you undercut the... You know, if you cut out the legs of ideas, 
you kind of cut out the legs of what America is. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's one of the reasons why the unraveling is so apparent here. Yeah. Where other cultures have some stability rooted in, in, uh, in history. Right. Um, and, and, uh, Anyway, so I th- I do think that it's more. I think America is is kind of a microcosm of what's happening generally in the West, but it's happening at such a tremendous rate here uh, with the with the concept of being a, a nation of people. Yeah. Because we weren't founded on on you know uh, ethnic identity or or even though there was you know some that contributed to it some. Sure. Um, yeah. But mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, good, good point. And I, I think the existence of being founded on ideas was the eventual undoing of things like slavery, the Jim Crow laws, inequality, yeah, the kinds of things that as Christians we we would want to see abolished. The kinds of things that as Christians we would want to see progress. Right. So it's weird because as Christians we all we're traditionalists. We want to maintain the traditions <clears throat> that should not be changed. And we don't want we don't want the things to change that shouldn't be changed, and we do want the things that should be changed to progress, mm. right? It's it's we're in this weird zone here mm. as Christians. I feel like I co-opted, co-opted. We didn't answer your question. What was the initial? We remind me what your 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 opening question kind of was. Big takeaways. I don't even remember. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I asked what your big takeaways okay. were, and I think your yours is a very good one, very thoughtful and thought per provoking one hmm. anybody else just your ideas on hmm. uh you know daniel is seeing we're a nation built on ideas you take those ideas away which many of them are inherently judeo-christian mm-hmm. yeah. and then you've just mm-hmm. got a culture that's not only he he calls it liquid yeah right i mm-hmm. think that's a good term uh, fluid identities and liquid culture uh but actually in tatters shambles yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I charred scree. And when I'm thinking of like the takeaway, I just enjoyed, you know, I, I take the the uh, chapter itself as I was mentioning earlier, just as more of a summary of putting together some of the pieces before he continues to to go on. But I just enjoyed thinking about this interplay between uh, rampant individualism, right, the self that wants to express itself yet still wants to belong to a greater community, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so he gave the yeah. evening this, and I see it firsthand, but he gave the example of teenagers who want to dress as, as a form of rebellion, right, and how they dress, but yeah, then they all end up right. dressing the same way, you know? Yeah. And I see that in some ways in the youth group. <laughs> they end up or, dressing yeah, the same the, way. Or, yeah, these people yeah, who, right. you know, want to identify as X, Y, Z. I'm so unique, and yeah, I look like yeah. everybody else. And, and <laughs> they want to identify as, you know, X, Y, Z, and then kind of down with whatever social structures are happening yet mm-hmm. in their in identifying with that, they still want the community of those who identify like them. So right. there's, they're replacing one thing for another. It was just, yeah. it was fun to think about the back and forth here. Yeah. My, <clears throat> sorry, yeah. but besides the America yeah. found on ideas, my two big takeaways were, uh, there's tremendous opportunity here. Hmm. Uh, one in driving a conversation about personhood. Yeah. What constitutes a person? Uh, specifically when it comes to the uh, the abortion discussion. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, because I felt like he un- like he undercooked the discussion in, in this chapter, and it can't be exhaustive, I get that. But I, f- I feel like he undercooked the concept of personhood. He said, it is not this, it is partially this. 
He didn't say, here's what, you know, he says, it's not purely genetics. Yeah. It's not purely your, your monologue with, with, you know, with your own interior self-expression. Yeah. Mm. Uh, he's, but he didn't, he didn't give any parameters for that. So yeah. I thought, oh, there's a great opportunity yeah. to drive a discussion about what constitutes a person. Right. Yeah. Right. And I feel like so much of the, the chaos in culture really does center around that. Like, what is a person? Is a person, you know, biologically defined? Mm. Is a person, you know, so mm. I think opens the door for great conversations about that. And to be um, fair, real quick, it could be more expanded than Rise and Triumph. I'm not sure. Yeah, I yeah, like it's, chapter, yeah, yeah. Oh, can't, yeah, can't be right. exhausted. His bigger book, um, yeah, the 400 page book. I, and I, the uh, the unmooring from family and uh, nation, national identities, right? Mm. Um, I just kept thinking, what an opportunity for the church! What an opportunity for the church to to be. The connection point. We mm. talked last last week about how, uh, or maybe it was the week before. But Ryan, you you bring this up all the time that your, uh, and it may have been James last week who, who did it, but your uh, likeness to the believer, mm. your 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 uh, clo- your kinship to the believer surpasses even your blood. Yeah. Right, it surpasses even the family. It surpasses yeah. your national mm-hmm. identities, and what an opportunity for the church to not just say, "Hey, we are this community," right, but to actually be that community, right, yeah. mm-hmm. um, where people go, "Oh, wow, these people, these people are connected in a meaningful yeah. way," right, and without losing their, you know, we talk about doing, you know, diversity, uh, unity in in the midst of diversity, mm-hmm. um, and, in a way that doesn't destroy the diversity that God has has laid into his church right but really does capture these people who are unmoored and looking for that community so yeah. I those were my I think there's the hands. important point to note in light of that is that the people in in this particular chapter that are looking for community are starting with self first right and mm-hmm. then for searching for community where we would say in the church, Rather, we started with God, and He has brought us into this community. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's a reversal of it. That mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have those orderings correct, then then yeah, this is what you end up with. So yeah, yeah. yeah which reminds me of, I mean, takes us back to kind of what Jeff was talking about the traditions and that the church. We're trying to, I mean, right? We're always reforming, right. but we're reforming to the Word of God. Yeah. Um, and so we're not inviting people to come and just hang out in a social club. We're inviting people to come and be part of God's family yeah. in accordance to God's yeah. rules. A transf- yeah, a transformed yeah. community. Yeah. 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 And, and that really is the key to, to a community like the Church of Jesus, the real Church of Jesus Christ uh, of the former-day saints, uh, <laughs> the, the, the original saints. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because it it there really is no call in the <clears throat> new testament for cross the board uniformity hmm. it really is diversity serving the purpose of unity that is to say that that the individuals that comprise the collective if you will maintain their individuality they maintain yeah. their distinctiveness and i would say mm-hmm. individual churches do too there actually is a passage in the new testament that prophesies uh where paul prophesies that denominations will exist hmm. within the church, and I can show you that later if you want to see it, but where Paul literally says that what God is bringing out of this is God is bringing out of this denominationalism, hmm. 
not for the purpose of factioning or becoming factions, but for the purpose of serving unity through diversity. And there are just lots of diverse congregations, lots of diverse uh, expressions of the body of Christ, and lots of diversity within any given local church. Hmm. Um, but it is, those, the unifying things to culture, though, have been, and I think he's right about this, body, family, geography, hmm. and national and religious tradition. Yeah. Those things have been things we could just count on. Hmm. And now, in this topsy-turvy, upside-down world, we can't count on those things anymore. It used All to right. be the fallback was, well, at least a person didn't have to worry about what gender they were mm -hmm. or what their biology was. Mm -hmm. And now that's being called into question. Uh, he goes on to say, and on uh, page 116, if you turn back there, he says, societies as a whole have frameworks for recognition. We might call their eth ethical, we might call this their ethical structure. The set of cultural standards and expectations to which uh, individuals need to conform in order to be considered full members of a particular society or community. Refusal to conform to these norms is, is likely to result in a refusal of full membership, a denial of full recognition uh, to the one who is deviant by the relevant standards. Mm -hmm. A very profound paragraph. So what are the terms of recognition in modern Western societies? Or let's just start with yeah. ours. Unfettered. Right now, it seems like it's becoming, well, the traditional ones or the... Well, the so let's talk about the traditional yeah. ones. So the traditional terms of recognition in a Western culture like ours. Yeah, commit, commitment in some form to uh, the state. So like allegiance mm -hmm. to, a, to either to a, a king, a vassal lord, a government you know uh, or in our case the constitution the constitution yeah. um commitment to a family like you're not a betrayer of family that you you uh work for the benefit of the, the that uh, microcosm of the community that you were born into um adherence to the uh the you know whatever social and sexual norms yeah. particularly sexually that was that was a huge governor of Right. human behavior um which is why i think there was so much pushback about it pushback against it by the by the philosophers that we we've already discussed yeah right um so yeah what about laws like a commitment to obey the law yeah so in our society we put people in prison who don't obey the law or we put people in jail who don't obey the law yeah we used to yeah right <laughs> <laughs> we used to but that's, yeah. a, that's a societal norm. That's yeah. a condition for participation. Yeah. And, so, and so I think what we're saying here is, obviously, obviously the idea of having conditions or terms of participation in a culture, be it a larger culture like a nation or a subculture like a church, those, those aren't bad things. So as a church, for example, we have cultural expectations for mm -hmm. people here and and we need those for church membership. Yeah. yeah. Like, don't we need those? Yeah, yeah. And so those are not a bad thing. No, I don't think they're bad. I'm trying to think of even further traditional. I, I wonder if you would include, like, just a natural respect of the other. You know what I mean? A natural respect for your fellow citizen. Sure. A desire to, mm. to, to see them do well, generally, right? I, right? I think we've lost a ton of that. 
um, almost all sure. of that probably. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I'm trying to think mm -hmm. of like, when you think of traditional, at least America, where we find ourselves, um, it seemed like there was tying that back into family, you know, governmental, there was a, a desire for your fellow citizen to do well. Yeah. Um, that's... And, and of course, we don't, we don't want to have rose-tinted glasses. You know, if yeah. you were an immigrant in the <clears throat> mid to late 1800s yeah. to New York, uh, you would find that th there, there was a lot of organized crime. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, just subculture crime. Tammany Hall. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the Italians hated the... Jews and the yeah. Jews uh, hated the the Irish and everybody hated everybody the Irish. Hated the Irish. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so you, you will find that that it's always been a mixed bag in our society, right? Yeah. That as as Daniel was saying, so important. We have these ideals, right? Yeah. We have ideas that we're trying to live up to, and these things be, can become cultural standards of participation. Mm -hmm. But we also have this sinful, roiling kind of sinful. <laughs> nature, uh, where people are driven by their sinful nature into murder, yeah. into organized crime, into and I actually oppression, think, and I actually think like that's that. a that's a uh, one of the I, I we didn't we talked a little bit about it last week, but the chapter last week was really about the destruction of the concept of authority, yeah, right, and there the participation in those social norms is because there was a an understanding that there's something authoritative about this. Yeah. There's something that has been imbued with a a uh, a right to rule over me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I need to I need to submit to or it. to constrain me. Uh, to, yeah. And so even even what's funny is even in organized crime there's a very strict authority oh, structure. Yeah. Yeah. You know there's a very there are there are codes and and morals standards. With, yeah, within that that if you violate it you catch a bullet to the back yeah. of the head. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, sure. And the degradation of of any concept of authority, yeah, yeah, right, is what uh, mm -hmm. kind of you you can't you can't buy into a system unless you're willing to submit to the authority of that system, right, right, you know, and and with a default position of no to any authority, yeah, everybody is is disconnected. Then. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with Michael Franzisi, who is now a Christian, but his dad was one of the biggest mobsters of all time, but he's a believer now, and he's out of prison. But he was saying, and what he does is he reviews mobster movies, and he'll tell you what's oh, real and what's not these, yeah, real. Yeah. And he'll say, man, the idea that you would walk up to a made man and pop off to him or or say anything that would disrespect him, you would be sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> so you're right. They Even in that structure, they have a very well-ordered system of authority yeah. uh, that you just don't transgress or you get concrete shoes. Um what are the grounds for refusal of recognition in our modern reimagined Western society? So now there are traditional mm -hmm. norms. There are things that, you know, uh, if you want to be a citizen here, for example, you got to go through customs or you got to go through uh, citizenship. Uh, you've got to go through mm -hmm. the process. It takes a long time. Mm -hmm. um, that's the way it's supposed to work. But, but now in our new reimagined world, yeah. right? Uh, what are the grounds for refusal of recognition in our modern reimagined Western society? Meaning, what would get you labeled as deviant? I think canceled, you it. canceled, yeah, deviant. Traditional sexual norms, you yeah. Know, well, why? Because it's appealing to, I, I think, a couple of different ways, but we've hit on it. I think it's appealing to an external authority other than the self, right? 
So kind of what you're saying, there's a denial of any um, outside authority that can tell me what to do. And then I think because it doesn't let me pursue my version of happiness, my version of um, whatever, self-fulfillment, right? Yeah. It's, it's all about the self. Um, but yeah, ultimately, eventually, it has to come back to some external authority. And ultimately, as we've been saying, when you keep pressing these things, um, very shaky, shaky ground that they're building the house of cards on. What so, about yeah. criticism? <clears throat> you know, like if you if you become critical in any way of anyone's cho- personal choices, yeah, you're anathema. Yeah, it, or it just mm-hmm. depends on which side you're on, right? Yeah, right. There's one side that is allowed to be as critical as they want of us who hold something different. Sure, um, but the other side, yeah, we can, we can't be critical. Exactly. So right. that's a kind yeah. of inequity, actually, where the very loud activist. Uh, elements in our culture are allowed to say anything they want to mm. without fear of reprisal yeah. against those who hold traditional norms. Yeah. But if we do the same thing to them, we get canceled or we get, you know, I'm not on Twitter, so I don't care about being canceled, yeah. but I'm just saying you, you do, um, you, you do experience that kind of, it's called today backlash. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, you saw that even a few weeks ago. I can't remember his name. Daniel might follows hockey better than I do, but you had the the hockey player who didn't want to wear the the pride jersey, oh, yeah. you know, during warmups. Right. And I mean, from national news media here, especially the ones in Canada, uh, Canada were saying was, there is no place brutal. for this person in so the league. So what happened? What happened? They're saying he uh, overall it was fine. Eventually, actually, a team refused to do it too. Yeah. Really? You haven't heard as much about it since, but mm-hmm. for that particular player in that week, it was there's no place for this in the league. There's no place Call, for him in the league. No place for mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Team the team that employed him needs to be fined. Yeah. He, I mean, he like, needs, <laughs> he's and he's appealing to a personal religious belief. Yeah. And they're saying there's not a place for that here. And wow. I think it's because wow. I, I can't remember who said it, but but if you want to know what is the God of a particular system? What can you not speak against? That's the God of the system. Right. And ultimately whose name can you not blaspheme? That's exactly yeah. right. What what is the what is the, the, the blasphemy law for that culture? Right. Um, and so, you know, some people would say that the that the LGBTQ movement is currently the god of the system. That right. that is what every you know every business, major corporation, yeah. Yeah. every the government, the school, like is pushing is is pushing the the promotion of this thing. Exactly. Um, but I think that's in service to the to the what the god of the system is, which is uh, the devil. Mm. The devil. Yeah. If you look at traditional Satanism, right, like the the the, the Anton LaVey Satan. Yeah, that kind of thing. The their catchphrase is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Wow. Right? Is that in Genesis? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the I mean you look at our, our culture and you go, Oh, if I push back against that, do yeah. what thou wilt, that is what yeah. brings me condemnation. Right. And so you realize, oh, there's a functional Satanism yeah. to to the yeah. majority to yeah. majority of culture. Is, Satan right. really is the ultimate rebel. He's the first rebel, and he's the prototype of all rebels that follow yeah. against mm-hmm. God's authority. And the very first thing he says to Eve is, "Did God really say that? Right. <laughs> is that really a law? Is that really a, is that really moral? Mm. Is that really?" 
a decree from on high. To is keep God you, right? Isn't he just trying to keep you from your own self-actualization? Yeah. That's a, of that's coming a great to know paraphrase. And be like him. And right. just doesn't want you to be happy. Mm. Yeah. So I want to ask you this, because I was thinking about this. It's not in my notes, but <clears throat> we had mentioned before, that temptation, though, that you just paraphrased, and I think you put it in our vernacular quite well, mm. isn't there an element there where there is a knowledge? Like for all of our knowledge today, that we have gained so much knowledge, especially through the Internet and that sort of thing, the speed of knowledge. Yeah. And then the ubiquity of, of knowledge, yeah. right? He mentioned he does mention this in the chapter where it used to be three news channels. Mm-hmm. Now it's it, it, now you Infinite. couldn't even count yeah. how many <laughs> news outlets there are through the internet. Mm-hmm. But isn't there an element there in the temptation where, in the decree, it's the it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't there a knowledge we're not supposed to have? Mm-hmm. I mean, is there is 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 all the gaining of all knowledge for us a mm-hmm. good thing? Or is there something that God had intended for us? Is there a naivety, a kind of guileless innocence that God mm. wanted uh, for us, like children? You know, like you, you're a little kid. Mm. You know, you want your kid to remain as pure <laughs> and as innocent as you can, which is why you incubate them in your home mm. and you try to insulate them from the the world. But isn't that part of what God wanted for us and part of what Satan is trying to take away from us in all this. Oh, I'd, I'd absolutely agree. But I'd love to hear what Josh says. Yeah. Say I mean, I'm just thinking like in the garden, Adam and Eve were ignorant of their bodies um, and that they were naked and they didn't even know till after yeah. they'd eaten the fruit. Um, so that just makes me think like, like they were ashamed probably due to sexual desire or something of that sort. So it wasn't that their body was bad. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wasn't that? It wasn't that. You know, we're not. What is it? The the Gnostics, of you know the 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 material is bad. Yeah, we're not oh, Christian sure. Gnostics. It was the it yeah. was the awareness of nakedness. Yeah, that, I think so. And it was God's grace to prevent us from knowing that. <laughs> but it's if you see your kids go through this, that's why I say Adam and Eve. While they may have been fully formed adults, they were new. <laughs> they were new. And I think mentally they were probably children, because and and that's what we see there. It, look at your little kids in your house. I had two children, who if I had let them till they were seven years old, they would have run around buck naked, like just booty shaking naked, man, <laughs> just uh, with with no sense of self awareness. Yeah. <clears throat> um, because they're little kids, and little kids are that way. So isn't yeah. there a kind of innocence in that? that has suddenly the story is about that innocence being stripped from them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is why some of the, the, what traditionally has been reserved, some of the, the most heinous uh, sins in a, in a Judeo Christian culture are things that rob children of innocence. Yeah. Uh, Like what? Like, like, sexual abuse against children right. mm-hmm. uh, uh, enslavement of children you know into you know into terrible working conditions where they they have to witness child slavery you know people's people's hands getting you know smashed in machines and you know like anything that functions to rob that that innocence yeah is is treated as if it is demonic right yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, used to be now you have <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hypersexualized <laughs> events at libraries. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah, you know. I, I think. Yeah, I think it's clear from from the beginning of Genesis and even the rest of Scripture that God 
desired and still desires us to be innocent in regards to sin. Right. Meaning uh, to not be full-fledged into it. Obviously, we're fallen and we realize that, but you know, even when mm-hmm. you preach from the end of Romans in a couple weeks, uh, verse 19, for your obedience is known to all, so they rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good, innocent as to what is evil. Right. You know, I think there is an innocence that, mm-hmm. that we lost good in the point. garden that we're still trying to pursue, and one day we'll, we'll realize it in the sense of not having the plague of, of sin over us. But, um, and so while yeah. we can't isolate <clears throat> ourselves, you know, I'm on sabbatical this year, the whole year, no, uh, <laughs> part part of the year, and uh, part of the year I actually it's weird because I've been looking into staying at monasteries, mm-hmm. and the thing that you'll note about looking into staying at like a Catholic monastery is it's very isolated. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's designed for solid uh, to be solitary, mm-hmm. you know, solitude, solitude, silence, <clears throat> yeah. and also seclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the monasteries that came up after uh, Pacomius started the first one in 287, mm. those monasteries were very evangelical. They were des- mm. they were church plants. Mm. They were designed to be planted in the middle of a village mm. so that they could reach out. But the way they reached out was through beneficence. They reached out through, <laughs> you care. know, just yeah, care, <clears throat> shepherding care. And they were originally evangelical. Um, and so even though we're not called to become monastics in that sense, right, mm-hmm. isolated, mm-hmm. we do have to insulate in order to be innocent. Mm-hmm. That passage you just read, so that's so Jewish of Paul to yeah. say that. <laughs> that's so rooted in the garden story, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are to try to be innocent. So very practically, then, how do we do that? You know, like we've got mm-hmm. all these streaming services now and these mm-hmm. endless shows, and many of these shows... Um, that might we talked about this earlier, but that might be very interesting to watch are so permeated with sinful elements. Mm-hmm. Should a Christian be, you know, I, I don't mean to become <laughs> a, uh, you know, a a fundamentalist here, but but should should a Christian uh, be very careful about what they're taking into their eyes and in terms of that, yes. like should a Christian watch Game of Thrones? Is that the name of the I show? I hear not. Yeah, I have never show? watched it. Um, but yes, uh, to answer your first question, yes, a Christian should be careful uh, of what they take in because it absolutely does affect our, our thinking, our emotions, our uh, physicality in some ways. So yeah. uh, I think that's a part of Christian wisdom is to be thinking about all of this. Now, does it mean that that's the unforgivable sin? By no means, you know, yeah, and, right. and we want to be, you know, obviously in the world but not of it, but there is a fine line between crossing over uh, and becoming of, I think, yeah. uh, that is really susceptible, especially this a, day and age. I think right. there's a key word in <clears throat> Philippians uh, when Paul says, finally, brothers, in verse 8, chapter 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, there's this really funny thing in this movie, but I can't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> whatever is commendable. Oh. If there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, I think the the word is dwell on these things. Yeah, yeah. right. You're going to mm-hmm. be exposed to these things. Yeah, the the things that are in opposite, you know, in opposition to yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, there's no there's no pure yeah entertainment in the you know in the sense that there's something that's perfectly holy. Sure, but it's the dwelling upon. Right, and it's hard to watch eight seasons mm-hmm. of a show and not think you're dwelling on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. whatever the content of that show is, sure. Oh yeah, um, no, no doubt. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. 
Um, but I also think I think we need to we need to engage with it with an active mind. Like we don't yeah. we don't sit and receive. You you always will, and if you take the worldview class, which we'll be starting on April fifth, oh, um, nice plug, uh, yeah, <laughs> nice uh, product placement. One of the one of the one of the goals is to is to help equip people to actively engage with what they're being exposed to. Yeah, um, in a critical in a, in Christian a, yeah, way, in, in a critical Christian way that sees critical thinking that sees beauty and truth and goodness as the things of God. Yep, and so even when fallen human beings. Or, or expressing things that are good, true, and beautiful, like awesome. We want right, right. to, we can enjoy sure. those. And, um, but to be doing it, be doing it proactively. To be mm-hmm. doing it and saying, and then, and then walking that line of, hey, am I dwelling on that which is pure? Am I yeah. dwelling on that which is good? Am I dwelling on that which is lovely? Rather than, all right, I've, I've, I'm engaging with that yeah. mm-hmm. in a critical, in a critical fashion, you know, kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. but like I said, I think. It's hard. You get away with one season. Hmm. It's hard when you're like, "Oh, I'm eight seasons into this." <laughs> you know, into this show. But I haven't been dwelling. On yeah, it. to not think that you're dwelling. I've been on. taking assiduous notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, he says on pages one seventeen and one eighteen, uh, nations almost by definition involves so vast an area of geographical space, this is a good point, Mm -hmm. such large populations and so many individual communities, villages, towns, cities, that it is impossible for everyone to know everyone else. This means that for a nation to exist, its members must examine or imagine that they hold things in common that uh, give them a coherent identity as a body of people. The hairdresser in Cornwall must identify in some way with the docker in Tent Tynesdale for the concept of England to have any real uh, authority. The trucker in Seattle must identify at some deep level with the restaurant owner in Florida if the idea of America is to make any sense. Mm. And so uh, I just noted here it has never been easier uh, to reimagine what it means to belong. So belonging that centers on or around a particular culture is vital to how we live, move, and identify in in that culture. So what effect on our national identity would this have on a society where 360 million people (laughs) all have their own imagined social realities? Um, So let's begin with unity and cohesion. Can we even keep a culture together? (laughs) <laughs> where 360 million people are encouraged to be radical individualists and to fi- and to and to reimagine and find an internet community mm. uh that just fits their personal self expression. You're shaking your head no James. Yeah, I think it'll be really <clears throat> difficult uh without some form of crisis to unify. Sure. Um <clears throat> I think if everyone's just pursuing themselves, finding that unity through through the internet, though I do think what we talked about just a moment ago about community factors in there, because yeah. we do all have such a sense, such a, it's, we're created to have community. And internet's not community, right? That's the problem we had yeah. during COVID when we all shut down for a while or we started doing live streams or different <laughs> things like that. And <clears throat> that's a great tool that has served the church in a way, but it also has been a great detriment yeah, that right. people have 
you know, stayed home and watched online thinking they're having church when they're missing one of the key elements, Mm -hmm. which is the neglecting of gathering together for the spurring on of the saints. And so it's embodied community. Right. And that's within the church, but within the culture, you still have that sense of that need of community. So I want to say probably not. I don't know if we're going to have that unity. Yeah. But yeah. I, we'll see. My, the only way my mind can comprehend it taking place, if it continues like this, is more factionalism and tribalism, where you you right. you're living with the people who agree like you, and right. then that and yeah, that yeah. in and of itself just means a lot of different small little nation states in and of themselves, sure. for lack of better words. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. Like they're 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 their pockets who believe what they want to believe, and then you then I have the question of like, am I starting to feel convicted if that ends up mm. taking place in the future, where a Christian should go and try, you know, mm. to, to evangelize yeah. and to win the lost in the right. midst of that yeah. before they persecute you or kick you out or kill you, you know, sure. like uh, those are always tough things. Well, it I used to be with, like but... if you, you know, the de- if you've ever wondered how the states were divided up the way they were, it was largely based on geography. I think I'm mm. right about that. They're largely based on boundaries or whatever. Mm. Mm-hmm. Natural boundaries. But now you see like half of Oregon, most of Oregon now, is trying to is petitioning to, to join yeah. Idaho to yeah. become Idaho yeah. because that more rural, um, yeah. less populous area in Oregon they feel like we're we're, we're not Oregonians. Yeah, mm-hmm. we look much more like Idahoans, yeah. right? And so they're trying to, and so now that's based on ideology. That's yeah. based on a political yeah. po- mm-hmm. a view of the world. Yeah. And so now what you see even. In our country today, is and once in a while you'll see this on the news. You'll see the what if, the counterfactuals of what if we divided the country up into these four four nations. Mm, right? Sure. right, you've got the super progressives on the far west coast. You've got the liberals on the east, northeast, mm. and then you've got the super conservatives in the midwest. And you see people try to imagine what it would be like. Mm to have a nation so divided over these political realities. Mm, yeah. But that all then just kind of uh, is tied to or is rooted in this idea that uh, of radical individualism. Yeah. It is the promise of individual freedom mm-hmm. run totally amok yeah. without the constraints of body, family. Uh, law, family, yeah. nation, mm-hmm. society. Yeah. And it's getting nuts. I, th- I think James is right. I think it will be impossible. I just can't see a way. Yeah, the only thing that would make sense is, about is a crisis, yeah. right? If you think of a family, like if you think of a family that's disjointed, no one talks to each other, no one gets along, and then that family suffers a loss. Mm-hmm. Someone oh, yeah. dies. Right. They all come to the funeral. Sometimes they yeah. work it out. Not all the time, but sometimes. <laughs> that crisis, that death, causes them to realize their mortality, want to make things right, and it may not last. Reevaluate, right. And so I think the only way that our country can can find any cohesion would be drastic crisis of some kind. I think you're right about Um, that. Other than that, I think they'll just continue to be there. But but I don't know about that. I don't even know if crisis will do it. Just a quick comparison. Like if you were old enough to remember, Josh, I don't know if you remember this, but right after 9-11... I've mentioned this from the pulpit a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Um, Right after those towers came down, man, the country was so unified. Mm -hmm. Like, it just seemed we were never more unified. It felt like World War II again, Mm -hmm. where we had this existential threat 
which in the scheme of things were not that existential of a threat to us mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the, the, the proportion of our military to theirs. Mm -hmm. But you have these people bringing these buildings down. Yeah. And then you have people like Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, gathering thousands of people together for a prayer meeting. Mm. Like to call out to whatever God you call out to <laughs> and ask God, you know, and then you fast forward to 2020 and the COVID crisis. Mm. And here you have this COVID crisis and almost all the response and all the chatter is about, man, how are we going to scientifically manufacture this vaccine to save us all? Mm. And nobody's talking about prayer. There were no mm. national prayer meetings. Mm -hmm. It was just, I, I kept waiting for someone to call us to prayer. Our president didn't do it. Mm. Uh, none of our national leaders did it. Sure. None of our celebrities were into it. And it just yeah. seemed like even in that crisis, we weren't brought together. Mm. We were, we were broken apart or, or, or yeah. it just, well, and, and, and actually there's a good, there's a good argument to be made. Um, this, the, this divide has been happening for a long, a long time. I mean, if you read Roger Kimball's The Long March, You'll see that it's been since the '50s that the you know the yeah. sexual revolution has really been being right. promoted in academia. But you had a moment like September 11th, and there was this brief cohesion where everybody had a feeling of goodwill towards one another, like the survivors right. of a shipwreck, right? Mm -hmm. And then the two camps, the pro-war camp and the anti-war camp, tried to capitalize on the crisis as well. And it further entrenched the yeah. divide. Oh my gosh! Right, it further entrenched the divide due to where George Bush was the most hated president by one side of the country that's ever been, and then Barack Obama got elected, and he was the most hated president by another side of the country, right. and then Donald Trump came, and like, and it actually there's this there was this split that happened ar around the the response to September 11th um, that further entrenched these two factions and that has continued to break down and and entrench as well but oh, um, man. Man, so you're so right about that that's the most insightful political analysis I think I've heard in a long time dude and that happened with Trump too you know it was just um this vitriol, whatever you think of the man, right? It's like, wow, I disagree with so much of what Obama was doing, particularly with the trans and the LGBTQ marriage laws. Like that, I think that was the Pandora's box that opened the floodgates here toward accelerating now evil and wickedness in our culture. And that's the source of, the, of that. And I also am a conservative in the sense that uh, I believe in limited government. I, I, I do believe in government. I think I probably am still a Republican, uh, but I believe in limited government. But when you stop and think about it, man, it was the it was the emotional reaction to him as a person. Now he is the devil, mm -hmm. right? It's like, wait a second, are you praying for your president? Are mm -hmm. you doing what Paul commands? Pray for your leaders. Pray for the kings. Mm -hmm. And then when Trump got in, it's like the pendulum swung all the, mm -hmm. other, the other way. But you're right. It kind of started mm -hmm. with that whole George Bush thing, just this hatred. People forget how much they hated that mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, but that's, none of that is Christian. Yeah. Right. I would say, man, if we're following Jesus, if we're following the New Testament, man, we're, we're good Protestants right. against the elitism 
that is driving people away from God. That's what Jesus mm. did. But yeah. we're also praying for the people. You know, Jesus' dying prayer is, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As he breathed his last, he's breathing out prayers for the people who are putting the nails in his hands, man. Too. You know, and that's Christianity. Yeah. So great, great, yeah. insightful analysis. Well, we're done. That was that was great. <laughs> no, we have more. I, I want to go to Judges seventeen six. Judges. Man. I'm really getting into the Old Testament again. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> because I just enjoy uh, the story so much. Did you say seventeen six? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now this is a famous summary of this age. Mm-hmm. Okay. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Oh, man, I love this passage. And each one did what was right in his or her own eyes. So how does that connect to the narrative of Judges 17, first of all, going forward? And is that an apt description of the social reality in which we now find ourselves? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, but he's still the king, and we're without a king, and Mm. everyone is just doing what is right in their own eyes. Mm. And so how is that a commentary on the social reality that we find as Christians ourselves in today? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to say because I just agree. I think it is a social commentary of what, where we find ourselves, uh, it's kind of, I can't remember the quote, exact quote you were saying earlier concerning sin, but it ties in with that. I feel like, um, that when everybody's doing right in their own eyes, tying this in with judges, uh, I think you see that repeated phrase kind of around, um, travesty after travesty throughout the book of judges where the phrase comes up and then you got, you know, Micah and the Levite and then, uh, two chapters or yeah, two chapters later yeah, yeah, yeah. is the uh, the concubine, mm-hmm. um, and so it's just horrible, horrible counts of the rampant effects of sin throughout that book. Um, and so today, yeah, it's it's exactly the same thing. Everybody is hoping to do what is right in their own eyes. Eventually, we've talked about before that can only press so far before you know my eyes see one thing is right, your eyes see another thing is right. There's conflict there. Who's so going to right? I know. Especially exactly. when we come into conflict. <clears throat> yeah. So then it just comes back to this, the appeal of the self and all of that. But um, yeah, I think you're. I think you're exactly right. I think that verse describes. But what's another pattern that you see? The hope the of judges? this age. Yeah. Like what's another? Well, what's a clear pattern that you see here with the Israelites in this situation? Yeah, I think the Israelites behave like this. Uh, and, and, then, and then they sin, and then judgment, judgment comes. Typically, there's a deliverer, and then a, deliverer. a judge, and then there's just the repeated pattern. And then it. they do it all again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you're, you're right about that. In the judge's narratives, God allows things... Here's what I see. Listen to this, everyone. God allows things to get so bad hmm. that people have... They have nowhere else to look. They have to call out to God. Hmm. And someone... In this culture that has become so godless, remembers, oh, remember, remember that we have a religion, <laughs> remember that we have a tradition, remember there's a God we can call out to, that, mm. that I think that is a parable. That there's a living God. A living God. Yeah. Because right. one of the patterns of judges is what happens, their heart turns to, to other gods. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
they t- it turns to they turn to idolatry, idolatry, and that's what the sin is born out of. Right. It's not. Uh, oh, hey, we totally believe in, in Yahweh, and we're practicing all that, and all yeah. of a sudden we've fallen into rampantly murdering everybody. Oh man, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or you know, like it, it's a their heart turns to other gods. Mm-hmm. Sin yeah. becomes rampant. God judges them. Oh man, you know, like and uh, yeah. and so it there is a there's always a God that people are calling out to. It's whether right. it's the living God or some other God. Great insight. So where else in the New Testament do we see that pattern? It starts with idolatry, and then it descends into moral. It's almost like <laughs> Romans 1. <laughs> well, that's exactly what you see in Romans yeah. 1. Paul is so astute. He's such an astute student of the Old Testament. He sees this. He knows that that's the wellspring of all sin. Mm. The wellspring of all sin is not just that we have a fallen sinful nature. What that sinful nature does is it seeks the wrong God. Mm. It seeks to worship the God, uh, false gods, gods who are not God, not worthy. Mm. And then there is this spiraling descent into moral insanity, uh, of which Paul includes, as we've noted before, gossip, disobedience Mm -hmm. to parents, but it culminates, actually. The bottom is when cultures begin to abandon natural relations, relations between men and women. Yeah, sure. So that becomes the flashpoint. But I want to point out, just with the judge's pattern here, um, I do hope for a great awakening mm-hmm. in American society. I don't know if it's starting at Asbury hmm. Seminary. Uh, maybe it is. I would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. I'm all for it. I, I hope it really does at least start on the college campuses and spread like uh, wildfire to college campuses. That would be wonderful. This generation absolutely needs that. Um, but I'm holding out for a, an, another great awakening, but the pattern here is that it becomes so bad that people literally have nothing to turn. Yeah. Society just becomes so up up rooted yeah it because it becomes so upended that there just is no they can do nothing else but call on the god who is yeah. uh, as opposed to the gods who aren't um what about he talks about the recognition and narrative uh pages 124 through 125 he says in the past civil society was possible because whatever the differences that existed between citizens there was a deeper narrative a deeper sense of identity and community that all shared and that served to revitalize, uh, relativize the tr- uh, such. It goes on to say, this is no longer the case. Modern Western societies are fragmenting because the imagined communities to which people choose to belong lack any shared narrative. There's no story that holds us together. This is therefore the terms of recognition that, that one group wishes to see their society adopt are often antithetical to those of others. And this leads to further conflict because the very existence of alternative narratives is a threat to a given community's identity. Mm -hmm. So while instability, volatility, contentious politics, and social unrest are not in any way unprecedented, he says as a historian, you know, he mm-hmm. notes as a historian, whenever the people on the news say, this is just an unprecedented time, yeah. he wants to say nonsense. 
Mm. You know, like that's the uneducated person who doesn't know anything about history. history yeah. he, so the historian kindly smiles and says, no, uh, uh, let, let me give you 10 more examples yeah. uh, in recent history of when this has happened, Western culture history. Mm-hmm. He says, these are just par for the course. Truman points out that as a historian, two things, however, in this day, mm-hmm. make our current moment in time a singularly challenging and potentially sinister one. The first one is the plastic or fluid concept of a human identity mm-hmm. to which expressive individualism leans into, yeah. tilts. And two, the liquefaction of the world around us then with regard to the traditional frameworks, national, religious, familial, geographical, even physiological, by which human beings have previously defined themselves in the social or the cultural arena. So these are the two ways in which now, as a historian, this guy's a trained historian Mm -hmm. of Western culture, Mm. he's saying, these are new. <laughs> Actually, these are unprecedented. Mm-hmm. We are looking. And, and, and of course, this is due to the convergence of technology. It's due to the, the emergence of kind of sociopolitical and economic philosophy of Marxism, as we've noted before, um, and Freudianism and all of this. But we are actually experiencing here something rather new. Different, yeah. And I would say in the history yeah. of religion, too, that's true. Because now it used to be in the ancient world, you worship the pantheon. Hmm. Like if you if you were Paul and you were speaking to a Greco-Roman and you, and you were to say, "Hey, listen, the gods you worship are no gods at all. Yeah. The idols are absolutely worthless. They're nothing. There is one true God of the universe." Now the Greco-Roman might uh, disagree with you, mm-hmm. but he's going to worship his gods, yeah. the pantheon or <clears throat> his family gods, whatever. But now we live in a day in which. Every individual is their own God, mm-hmm. right? Like you were saying, it's idolatry, but now it's the ubiquity, the, the plurification, if you will. I just made that word up. That's an awesome word. Mm. Um, the multiplication of gods, as many individuals as there are, there are that many gods. So the question is, um, how is this now new and what kind of new consequences are we going to face that other generations previously didn't really face because of this new reality? Yeah, I just want to say it's it's new in light of history in the sense of the two things that he's highlighting. One, feeling like you in and of yourself as a self-authority, as you know, seeking happiness, you are whatever you want to be. Sure. Uh, and in, in some ways, I think, People from history, you know, he talks about the different classes you might be born into, you know, peasant, noble, king. Um, I think they obviously all had probably desires, things that they wanted to do, things that they liked to do, right? But this is such a radical shift of, like, nothing can get in my way from accomplishing this. I have to be able to accomplish this. Otherwise, I'm not happy, and for you to not make me happy um, is one of the gravest of sins. And then with, with society... Yeah, for me, it was super interesting a few pages back. I think I'm slower than you guys, but like obviously we talked about how the internet lends itself to uh, self-individualization, but how he was talking about how the internet really does break down our sense of uh, nationalism in some way, just a a positive view of nationalism where we have uh, a good concept of uh, self in relation to others in a given geographical sphere. Uh, That was a little bit eye-opening to me in some ways. Yeah, that's very eye-opening. So when all of those things are getting broken down, 
I think he shows us where it ends up going. You know, we have all of this prosperity, all this wealth, all this health, and we still want, you know, people are, I think you've talked about this in your sermons, people are hoping yeah. for the, uh, I can't remember what you called it, but like the, the timeless pill or, you know, or something, something yeah. that would defeat the, uh, yeah. the effects of the fall that we were talking about earlier. What? Yeah, we're just crushed by anxiety, depression, um, nonstop. I would be I would be interested to talk good, to good to a historian to see if there's ever been a time in human history where uh, I, I I don't know how you would document this because you're using we're using contemporary know, language yeah, for yeah. you know anxiety and, and despair. But there's ever been a season uh, in Western culture before that has had this level of despair. Oh man. Um, where not just yeah. despair, like, oh, the situation is terrible. Yeah. Despair, like, no, I'm going to off myself. I'm going to yeah. mutilate yeah, myself. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, ingest yeah. drugs that permanently alter my my body chemistry. You know, like, yeah. Daniel, Daniel, I would a... say, I would say, probably for different reasons, there have been seasons or centuries, if you will where the common man has gone through such utter despair over poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now the anxiety <laughs> that we have is due to the extreme prosperity I know. That's, yeah. that we have experienced in our society and, and the limitless opportunities for self-expression and pleasure, like the, the never-ending dopamine hit yeah. of scrolling through something like TikTok or, you know what I mean? Just... Uh, so now the anxiety, I think it's the same human condition, mm-hmm. but it's a different vehicle. It is an innovative. It is an innovative. It's an innovative. Yeah. yeah, the apparatus that delivers it is innovative. It's really something new, yeah. mm-hmm. and we don't yet know what the effects are going to be on the collective psyche of the human race. Well, in think, the yeah, go ahead. I think one of the what you're talking about there, where you, you know. There's limitless gods because everybody's their own god. One of the things that that contributes to it, it that, besides Marxism being intentionally disruptive to the concept of a national identity, yeah, they failed in the 20th century mm-hmm. to cause the workers, you know, the 19th and 20th yeah. century to cause the workers of the world to unite. Total failure, and they were really frustrated because. Mm-hmm. People identified with their national, yeah. you know, more than they did internationally. You know, mm. their national brotherhood more than their international brotherhood. Their fam, their, you know, their familial bonds more than their, you know, their their, their bonds with their comrades. All that stuff. So there has been an intentional assault to destroy those things by Marxism, mm. right? It shifted into the universities. It shifted into right. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if there's ever been an attack in history on that. On yes. that type of thing, I think right. that what that's what Truman is pointing out that mm-hmm. nations have gone to war with nations because I want yeah. to take your property <clears throat> yeah. and your national boundaries, yeah. and you know, yeah. like, but there was still that like and your resources, yeah, and your, yeah, and there's so, but there was still that kind of concept of, um, but but I don't think there's ever been an attack on the concept of like nationhood or yeah. the 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 uh, goodness of family, yeah. In the way that that we've experienced, right. but sorry right. to get back to the point of the the limitless gods. I was it was it was interesting. I was I was thinking about this, and I haven't fleshed this idea out totally. So I'm sorry for just kind of processing it here. But it's interesting that even within the church, right, we have this default assumption that we all think the same way, right? 
because this is the way that I think, mm-hmm. right? And so when somebody comes out and transgresses, transgresses and says, oh, no, I don't think that way, yes. we feel personally hurt, mm-hmm. right? Right. When one yeah. of our heroes falls or, you know, or, or comes out and says, oh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Calvinist or I'm not an Arminian yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And we feel some kind of personal like <laughs> violation <laughs> as though we've ever met this person yeah. and we, or we went to school. Like it's this, it's a totally foreign person. So it enables me to uh, feel offense in a, in a personal mm-hmm. deep way yeah. um, because I totalitize my, you know, m- what my experience, or, my, my yeah. views and my experience. Yeah. And when somebody comes out against that, you've now harmed me. Right. Right. I have an experience of, of, of emotional pain yeah. Yeah. by you doing this, right. um, at which then justifies, well, if I'm experiencing pain, yeah. you've done something immoral. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, be- we become that aspect of our idolatry. We, we incarnate it or our ideology. We incarnate that. And so then if someone, like I have a really good friend who's as Arminian as they come, and we have some kind of cordial discussions on that, but he's a big Greg Boyd fan, not because he thinks everything Greg Boyd teaches is right, but because there's just a a, a particular uh, approach that Boyd takes to the cross that he really likes. He just sees the cross as a total act of love and redemption and struggles to see it as an act also of God's wrath. Mm-hmm. And so when we have conversations on it, but he's, I mean, he's what, my best pal, you know, like he is just such a good friend. And when, and so whenever he's criticized my more reformed Calvinist beliefs, mm-hmm. um, it, it is easy for me not to take offense uh, because I'm in relationship with him. I'm a good yeah. friend with him, yeah. and we could disagree over the issue. But then I love him as a brother. He's mm-hmm. and I know, and I know his character. Like I know mm-hmm. he is a man of supremely excellent Christian character. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I can just say, "Man, you're all wet on that. You're, that's mm-hmm. nonsense," you know. But we can do it, do that, and stay in relationship. I think the internet and these fake uh, social environments that we've created mm-hmm. have made it possible for us to uh, dehumanize a person. Mm-hmm. And now when we disagree with them, we incinerate them yeah. like it's a total character All assault. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so vitriolic, but, but it's like being in a car. You know, The reason why you have road rage mm. is because you don't see the person who just cut you off in traffic as a mom who is late to pick up her kid from school mm. uh, and who has a family and who has thoughts and who has feelings. You just see an object. Mm-hmm. And you're angry yeah. at the object. Yeah. And we've objectified human beings. And technology, with all of its wonderful <laughs> advantages, has allowed us to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, that, I think, is a good mm. uh, closing thought. Any, any thoughts on that? Or anything else in the chapter? Again, this is a good handoff chapter to the it next is. one. We'll yeah. get more mm-hmm. specifically into... Now, kind of the LGBTQ revolution, and sure. we'll look at that uh, next week in what is it, chapter seven, I think, and we'll get into that and sort of pick that apart. And Truman will will highlight several things about that that will help us to understand now how we yeah. got here. <clears throat> One of them is obviously uh, the 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 Marriage Act, mm-hmm. that sort yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that. Okay, guys, mm-hmm. thanks. Thank you, guys. For the conversation. Good to see you. Good to see you. Have a great day.